Okay, back here, very excited with uh, my old professor, Paul Johnson. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jeff. This is a uh, second time on the podcast. Yep. First, first time I came to the university with my old setup when I was just getting started. Now we're here in the studio, a little, little different. What a palace it is compared <laughs> to what you used to have. <laughs> um, so I was just asking you, you were the chair of the economics department before, and then you weren't the chair. Right. But you just told me you're, you're, not, you're not chair again. I am chair again. I, I, we sort of rotated a couple of years, and, and, and then someone else should kind of take a turn. And so it's my turn again, basically. So you've been with the economics department for quite a, quite a long time. I was with economics for 20 years, and before that, 10 years with the actual business admin department. So I actually was doing 10 years of a kind of business-related teaching, like strategy and stuff like that. And then I was moved back to what was really my specialty which is economics around the year 2000 so 20 years so and you're from australia originally which i want to talk about later mm-hmm. australia and, and covid but when i went to australia for you i kind of reached out to you and uh, mm-hmm. this was in 16 i said what do you think and you said you should do it yep and i went and um yep i remember in your classes you used to always tell that story about when you're working at the australian treasury yep that's kind of when your realization of maybe government doesn't know everything bureaucracy and government are not a good Next, typically, <laughs> yeah, it's like you, the story was, I was given serious advice by a very senior person in the treasury when I first arrived. And you were like a PhD, just out of, just I just PhD? Out of yeah, I, ju- I just arrived as a, yeah, I just got my PhD and he said, and, and he wasn't joking, he was like, you have to learn important things and he said like how to, when you staple something, you've got to have like the 45 degree angle route, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, what? And then I learned later that this was true. It's how things appear on paper and present. And it, that's 50% of what people judge it by because they they're so remote from the real world, they don't have anything else to go on. But Didn't you say that you once did like a economic analysis on like an, I think it was like an airport yes, or a runway? Yes, yes. the new uh, Sydney airport, which finally is being built 20 years later, um, and I was a junior person and they wanted the treasury to do an analysis of the, um, kind of cost benefit. And, and I put together some data and a critical th- factor is your assumption about interest rates, right? Cause interest rates have a big determination on what the real cost of something is and the real benefits. And I had no clue what to do. So I just picked from the equivalent of the Wall Street Journal, what the prime rate was and said, okay, I'm going to use this interest rate. And it happened to be three or four, whatever it was. And um, no one batted an eye. No one asked me, well, why did you pick that interest rate? And you could get a multi-billion different answer if you choose a different interest rate to do the assessment. So that was also a lesson um, kind of that, we really so they're, they're, don't they're, have a good good methodology here. So they're presenting it, and you're like, oh, my God, I just... Oh, yeah, it goes all the way up to the prime minister, to the cabinet, because <laughs> this is a multi-billion dollar thing, and everyone would look at, I mean, a big analysis, and mine would be part of it, and they'd say, well, the Treasury has made this kind of assessment, and so, you know, that $100 billion, no problem, the pencils out, it's like, well, you've got basically like interns doing, doing the core mm-hmm. basis there so you were in australia and then you eventually came to america where you, yes. you studied in america right? yes i studied in um university of rochester in upstate new york but i also taught in canada after that and i economics and i lived in singapore too so and then australia and then i circled back to alaska here that's, that's quite a quite a My tour landing. yeah that, that noise you're hearing i think someone's vacuuming in the hallway so that's what that is if you can oh, yep yep you can hear that it's i thought i thought man the system's down or some issues going on but guy vacuuming um so the one thing i want to talk about uh with you now is a big topic everyone's yeah. talking about is in- inflation yes and i took you know intro economics with you and right. i took adv- i think i took three or four classes with you yep um as well as other you know i have a minor in economics i need to go, i need to go back and get the major sure just go back and grab it i think i need like two classes no you don't you've you've moved beyond i just want to have it 
Yeah. But, um, you know, you learn about inflation. Yes. And I want to talk a little bit about why inflation is happening. And then sure. also kind of, I think maybe a lot of folks aren't familiar with like, what, what is the money supply? Because it's so, not just the cash or the ca- checking accounts. No. There's all kinds of assets. Im- assets and impacts. So talk about the money supply. Okay. What that is and how that's calculated. And then, and then why we're having, you know, an inflationary moment right now and why it's, you know, the highest it's been in 40 years. Well, uh, okay. Well, first thing is that Actually, um, inflation is one thing where people's natural intuition actually is correct. The natural intuition people would have is if government printed, let's imagine, let's not get into the mechanism of how it gets injected into the economy, but the government just prints a trillion dollars and like gets it out there to people, you know, and there are different ways to do it. People would naturally sort of intuitively expect, I kind of think maybe this will cause inflation, right? Because the number of goods and services that are being produced hasn't increased significantly, right? And you've doubled the money supply, let's say. Um, probably that we're going to have a big dollar increase in the price of everything. And that intuition is correct, fundamentally. Um, of it's like the, the COVID, the ARPA, and the CARES Act, yes. and all this stuff. Yes. But there, there is a supply side angle a little bit too. If we were producing, a, if we had the same money supply and we reduced the amount of real stuff we're producing, and real means services, doesn't have to mean physical things. If we're actually got less output in real terms and we keep the money the same, then there'll also be some inflation. You've got, it's basically too much money chasing too few goods. That's what it comes down to in essence. Um, now, it's not perfect because one thing that kind of you've got to factor in is if people take in dollars and they just put it in their mattress, they, you know, they take in a, lot of, a bunch of money and um, store it and it's not out there circulating, then that will reduce the amount of inflation you get, right? Mm-hmm. So there is some, that's when people talk about people's expectations and, and, and human behavior does come into it somewhat, but... But when there's a... Con- so you yeah. could have... A, a, a smaller or not increase in the money supply, but if you have a contraction mm-hmm. of services and goods, yes, even cool. without new money, yes, prices are going up, yes, because there's more demand for small, fewer goods or services. Yes, if the demand stay the same, but the amount of real stuff available to buy, uh, those dollars are gonna show up in higher prices. So, so what is it because of the supply chain issue and less goods? and services and more money. Is that why we're seeing yes. such an inflationary? Yes. And, 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 and that supply side stuff is something that really nobody could do much about, right? Because there's the pandemic and the supply chain disruptions and it comes from other countries that we don't control. So to be sure, some inflation was inevitable and you can't really blame anybody in the US for that. But if on top of that, you pile in trillions of dollars you're definitely going to make inflation bigger and worse. When, when um, the bailouts after the financial crisis happened, yes, um, the auto bailout and, yeah. the, and the TARP and all this, this yeah. was $800, $900 billion. Yeah. And I remember I was still in, I graduated in 2009, so yeah. kind of the end of my edu- you know, college education. But yeah. at the time, everybody I remember thought that was like, wow, mm-hmm. $900 billion is like crazy. Yeah. Now we're in... The trillions, trillions, multiple trillions, trillions, you know, in the course of 12 years. Yes. And, and it's also another reason it's worse is that back in the day, other countries were happy to take the U.S. dollars and store them because it was like the world's reserve currency. So let's say for the sake of argument, China says, well, we'll, we'll take a trillion and, and put it in our mattresses here because we want a buffer of money on our side and uh, for whatever we want to do in China. Well, that sucks the money out of the U.S., but they're actually not doing that now because China's sort of kind of started to decide, hey, we sort of don't like this idea that the US dollar is the dominant currency in, for everything. We sort of like gradually to replace it. So there's less demand for money by other countries, put it that way. So that makes the inflation worse. So what this is all going back to the Bretton Woods, you know, after World War II, the kind of... That's when the dollar became effectively the world currency. Now, what happens if, in, you know, between China and Russia and other mm-hmm. countries, what, what if what if the day comes where it's no longer the reserve currency? What does that do to the American It's all going to come back here. It's all going to come back here. Through, if through they tre- don't treasury, hold it. Through treasury bonds and... Well, they'll just, they'll, they'll well, 
um, what they'll just do is they'll buy our stuff using US dollars, but they won't accept dollars. So eventually the flow of dollars, the net flow will be back into the US. That's, so that's more inflation. That ultimately, that would create more inflation or make inflation worse. See, there's, there's sort of create some inflation. You always have a little bit. It's, it's a question of making it worse. Um, and that you could it's figure the great sort of financial crash like 2007, 2009. One thing that it didn't cause terrible inflation is partly because other the U.S. dollars were still accepted as the world's reserve currency. So you could print a bunch and it ends up being circulating between other countries and therefore it doesn't really create the inflation. It would, in, in, in a sort of closed world, if we were the only country in the world, then so, it would be worse. So ultimately, who, who's really in charge or monitoring this? Is it the combination of the Treasury and the Federal Reserve? Yeah. They're so, well, they're supposed to be like the two agencies that get together and come up with advice about what Congress should do. But if Congress decides to spend an extra trillion at the end of the day, there's not a whole bunch they can do. I mean, they can refuse to kind of try to help supply it, but that's, well, what, I mean, there's different ways the, the um, central bank can inject money into the economy. And the most common way, but not the only way, the most common way is when the um, US uh, Fed, the Federal Reserve, buys government bonds from the Treasury. Government, that when the US wants to borrow money, it's done by the US Treasury. The US Treasury is an agent of the federal government. And what they do is they issue new bonds. And bonds are like any other kind of bond. It's, we promise to pay you back on a schedule if you buy this thing from us. And that's how the US dollar, US government gets its funding from. So um, there's a lot of pressure on the Fed to accommodate whatever it is that the Treasury would like them to, to, to buy. So and the ch Fed chair is appointed by the president. The Fed chair is um, nominated by the president. And I th I'm a little fuzzy. I think they have to be approved Confer by Confirmed. Yeah. Confirmed. So that's why there's so much focus on the, the um, whoever is in charge of the Fed because the, that's the only person who technically can say no. If you're head of the treasury and the president says, I want you to issue a trillion dollars worth of bonds and sell them, you have to do it. You're part of the government. But the Federal Reserve technically is independent. It's its own thing. It's a bank. It was created by Congress, uh, but it doesn't directly answer to the president. Like in 1913, right? So it's relatively yes. new. And yes. look at the history of the whole country. It's yes. only been around for 100 years. Yes. 100, over 100 years. Yes. So there's a lot of pressure on, on the um, Fed to accommodate what the president and the government wants to do, but technically they don't have to go along with it. But on the other hand, they are ultimately appointed, to, not immediately, but on the long run by the president. So it's a sort of a balancing act there. You had, you had a guy like Greenspan who was there for a long time. Yes, he was there for a long time. And uh, at the end there, he really screwed up. <laughs> Um, very badly, but um, yeah, that gets it. It gets kind of murky because there's this tendency to appoint as Fed chair people who have a lot of uh, influence from the financial sector, and you know those that part of the country doesn't necessarily have the whole country's interest in mind. You know, they, I was just watching this movie. Have you seen Worth? No, I haven't seen that. It's a really good movie. It's with Michael Keaton. Uh, it's about huh. the uh, Ken Feinberg, who was the special master for the 9-11 Victims Fund. Yes. And, you know, they wanted to basically get all the victims' families to sign up so they wouldn't sue and bankrupt the airlines. And okay. This is the bill. Anyways, there's a scene in there where you know, the, the, the cooks and, the, you know, people, the you know, janitors, that you uh -huh. know, they were trying to figure out value of life and yes. what's the economic value. This is, and this guy's yeah. done this for all kinds of, things. Uh, you know, um, terrorist attacks and shootings and the the, boat, the Max 9. And so this guy's kind of, this is his business. Right. He volunteered to do this for no, no fee. Okay. Um, to help out. Okay. And it got really just intense because people didn't trust him and there was a whole, but the part of the movie there, there's the lawyer representing all the wall street people. Uh huh. And you know, they didn't, they didn't like the economic formula because their people, their long-term gain value yeah. was, and they want, they kept in you know, the airlines as well. So you have these people with access uh -huh. pressuring, trying to pressure him to raise the ceiling for the, 
all Wall Street people and, and, and make make sure they don't sue the airlines and yes. similar type thing when you have the access and you have yeah. that kind of you're in that world. Yes. They want you to do things yeah. that help help them. And the average person doesn't have no. that you know, there's no lobbyist for that average person to go in there. No. No, these are these things sort of things happen behind closed doors in New York or Washington or wherever they they and they're way outside the normal beat for the kind of press, I think. Even I think there's a few Reporters who may understand it, but but then they you know they right. want to probably keep their jobs too. And yes, so I want to ask you: inflation. The government puts out numbers, and and right yeah. now it's, I think it's like they're saying two and a half or three percent. Um. Well, the latest numbers are getting up like five to six percent. So are they going up? Yeah. But even yeah. then, it seems like okay. So, so two questions. The first one is why, if we ha- if we're having all this inflation, why are the interest rates still like zero or close to zero? Good. Question. Just yeah, I don't. I uh, to be honest, we don't have a good answer for that. But when, when, we, when we predict they're going to go up. When inflation, when you have inflation, you have. Yeah. If you're in charge, yeah, you'd have to raise interest rates, right? Well, interest rates will go up. That's one thing. Um, inter- no one controls interest rates, so no one says, "Ah, oh, I want it to be this." But what will happen is, well, I'm, I'm, I mean, the, the federal rates. Uh, well, not even the Fed. The Fed doesn't. Con- that's sort of um, not true. The the and I know even the Wall Street Journal will talk about um, the Fed's trying to figure out if it should raise interest rates, and that and that's a real problem because it's misleading. What it's saying is, is the Fed going to accommodate the Treasury's desire to sell all these Treasury bonds? And if you allow that to happen, then interest rates will naturally go up. Because if I'm trying to sell a whole more, lot more debt to you, to the rest of the world, I have to offer a better interest rate, right? If mm-hmm. I've got an extra trillion of in bonds, I need buyers. I've got to effectively offer a higher interest rate. But it's so that will happen if the Fed accommodates the the desire to sell those things. But it's not the same as the Fed can press a button and determine. But you can influence interest rates. I guess I was thinking saying. about the discount rate. Um, the borrowing yeah. rate between banks. Borrowing rate between oh well once once interest rates go up for treasury bonds, they're all over the world. All interest rates will go up because U.S. Treasury bonds are like the fundamental mm-hmm. asset because uh, they're regarded as being zero risk. So um, once it goes up for for U.S. Treasury bonds, every interest rate anyone deals with is going to go up. So if inflation is five or six percent, why yeah. are mortgage rates still three and four percent? Good question. Don't know. I mean, it could be also risk. That's the other side, though. When people are borrowing and, and trying to, um, you know, um, how to put it? What, what if, what if the, the buying a house now is regarded as being a really good bet because the value will go up? Then maybe I don't have, maybe interest rates will not have to go up. Because if you don't pay, we'll take the house back and we'll sell the house. Yeah, we can sell the house back. So we're willing to to lend money to you. And even if you go bankrupt and the house has to be sold, we're not worried because we'll just resell it at a higher price. So, but I got to say, it's unusual. I mean, eventually interest rates have got to go up. I mean, it's just, there's more uncertainty too. What happened? Talk about what happened in the 70s and 80s when when the mortgage, mortgage rates were like, what, 18, 20%, right? Right, yeah. How'd that happen? That was inflation. That was inflation. We had inflation and we had, um, uh, what was going on was as you, the higher the inflation you have, um, lenders have got to be compensated for inflation. So you add that on to what would be their normal kind of, kind of a requirement for return. So that was what was happening. The 70s were pretty easier to explain because there weren't all these other financial instruments we got now. And also the U.S. was so dominant in the world economy. You could just look at the U.S. economy to figure out what was going on. Was the oil embargo part of it? Was it a factor? The oil embargo contributed a little bit to inflation, but uh, not as much as people think. What, what happened? Was it Vietnam um, stuff, I, money, or was it – I mean, is it hard – I, I would just say that uh, the U.S. was printing too much money back then, too, but no one wanted to point to that. As, and probably it was partly to fund the war, right, uh, Vietnam War, because that or the legacy of the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, But i got to say that's not my period. I, I, in the sense of why exactly things happened, we kind of know that there was such bad inflation that 
people like Jimmy Carter and others were doing um, rationing. And we're hearing people say that. I actually have seen now people seriously write, well, we need to sort of stop that inflation by intervening with price controls and was, stuff like that. And wasn't that was there the ruinous. license plate odds and evens to get gas? Yes, the gas example, people would line up to buy, get their 10, 10 gallons worth of gas and then entrepreneurial people would buy the gas so that they could sell it to the person further down the line and all kinds of stuff like that. It was just a complete fiasco. That's actually an interesting topic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as an, we've talked about this in class a lot, but, right. you know, the ideas of the government trying to... Micromanage. Get involved in market. Sometimes I think it's actually, it's needed. It's, it's, yes. I don't think anybody, at least... Normal, normal folks aren't ar- arguing for a f- totally no government, but... No, no. There's, if there's a compelling reason, that's what should... The standard should be compelling reason. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if, if there's a compelling reason for the government to intervene in a very specific way for maybe even for a limited time, um, like in wartime, I mean, you know, global war, like, it's like a whole country is going to be lost yeah. if you don't... Those are the extreme cases. But problem is, as we know, once you set a precedent, even if it was during like World War II, people will stick on to that. They'll keep that as having expanded the role for government sort of for every to make things better now. So people always adapt. So if there's a, a price fix, if they try yeah. to fix prices, people will figure this out and they'll... Yes. they'll um, Find a way around it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's odd because there are some things like the health system in the US that really needs to be kind of fixed it's very it's i mean for one thing prices are um opaque so right you you, you don't know what you're really paying there's even laws in alaska on price transparency and they still don't really most offices or doctors won't tell you how much something costs right it's the only kind of industry where you do something and you know like if it's a big thing and then you get a bill a month later two months later for 60 grand or you know whatever it is it's really nuts Yes, we did, we did we did a root canal and here's your $5,000 bill, you know. But you're not told that ahead of time. You know, there's no and but then it's really more obscure because there're all these uh, agreements that ah, but after insurance and us got together, uh, your bill is like uh, $200. It's like what? It's like no one can you know all these um kind of cross sort of transfers and subsidies and stuff. It's very so it's the biggest industry that people have the most trouble with is probably um, medicine and that's the one that has the least transparency and all the problems but no one really wants to think clearly about what to do and it's a huge part i think it's like 20 percent of the economy yes it's healthcare. huge it's huge i always go back to the example and i've, I've discussed this at length with doctors yes. and medical people um, yes. on the podcast but yeah. when i was in australia which, yes. which people always say well it's a lower population which yeah. I don't buy that because there's, there's economies of scale. So yes. if it's 30 million or 300 million, yes. more people are working. Yes. But over there, I was just so impressed with, I went to the clinic once when I was, right. I, got, I got like a bad chest infection before COVID, right. thank God, you know, was there in a good time in Australia. Right. But you'd walk in and it was like 75 and I asked yep. her how much it was going to, you know, 75 and because I don't have the Australian Medi- Medicare, I'm not right. part of the system. And I go, well, how much is it? Right. Really? What's it really going to cost? Like how much yes. extra? And she's like, oh, my ear American, ain't you? Because <laughs> you know, she like knew, right? But you just—it was so efficient, and I, right. I went and I waited for twenty, paid the money seventy, and I right. got an antibiotic, went across the way to get it, and yeah. asked the guy when I should come back, and he's like, "What do you mean? I said, when should I come back and pick it up?" He goes, "Mate, two minutes." Yeah, and I, I, I explained to him how it is, and he was like, "We'd be yelled at." Yeah, we had it, you know, right? But it, it, and everybody there, all my friends that I know over the years that I'm traveling or that I met yeah. over there, you, you know, they bitch about their system, but they right. tell about our system, right? And pretty much every time it's like, well, thank God we don't have that. Right. That's right. Because nobody really worries about something right. happening. Right. Maybe you have to wait if your knee's messed up and you're not going to die. Right. Wait a little bit or something. But Yeah, and you can, you can get top-tier treatment at your own cost. You That's can buy the, the thing. It's the two-tier. They have the yeah. insurance you can buy if you want. Yes. So you, you, what you basically have, it's like in the airlines, right? The people who, who buy the first-class seats – and and get like one more little bottle of vodka than the regular passenger would get and and a kind of sort of crappy meal um they pay double to fly and that helps subsid that that's probably what keeps the airline afloat and everyone else is just in the in the regular seats covering the costs and that's okay because all right i mean i'm i'm sitting in a row with two other people and um 
it's not so comfortable, but that's my choice, well, and I'm really happy. I'm not. I can afford to fly. Put it yeah. I can. I my family and I can afford to fly, and we could not afford to fly if it weren't for this sort of um, kind of you know luxury class up at the front where they get to board early and stuff. Um, so it works, and that's the medical system in Australia, and it's like that in Canada too, and a lot of places. We're really the only kind of advanced yeah. economy or country that doesn't have a. A base rate. I mean, it does if you're right. poor or old. If you're poor, you have it. But right. a lot of people in the middle right. have nothing. Right. Like That's I have right. to buy the Obamacare. I buy. Right. I pay so much. It's like a six thousand dollar deductible, and I basically have it in case something happens. Right. Right. But there's it covers really nothing. Right. That's right. There's no guarantee at all. So what you get. So I don't know. It's this is in in some sense this is a really big. Um, kind of problem and issue and but it doesn't get the attention it deserves so that which is an interesting what would be interesting to deal with what the story is there when it does come up yeah uh people freak out and the death panels or whatever yes. sarah palin said that or yes. um but what, what fascinates me is canada and england and australia they pay less per person yes than we do by, by, by like half yeah we got to say though they're probably healthier people on average uh, so the, it'll always be higher in the U.S. And also the U.S. has got, well, there's various things, but it is dramatically less. It's, and it's predictable, too, what you pay. It's sort of you, you kind of know what something's going to cost and you can actually weigh costs and benefits, and you cannot do that here. Do you miss Australia? You go back sometimes, right? Yeah, I would have gone back twice by now, for sure, if there were no pandemic. Um, in fact, last week I was on a Zoom call with relatives and, and you know, asking. Now... I got to be a little careful because Australia has its own total irrationality with how it's ca- responding to the um, pandemic. So there, there is a kind of, and this is really surprising because I would have never thought they'd go that way of total. I don't know it, the, the idea that if we just totally lock down and put people in their homes, and somehow the problem will go away. It's like, uh, no. I'm, I'm sh- sh- I was shocked. Yeah. I still keep in touch with a lot of my friends yeah. over there, and I and spending a year there all yeah. over the place. I was shocked, yes, how they were grabbing people and locking yes. them down, and the police. I mean, that, the, the, they're yeah. in so many ways like America, very yes. free. They appreciate freedom, laid yes. back. They want to just kind of enjoy life. Yes, and I mean, even the you know police. I talked to so many police on the streets that yes. you know had never pulled their gun ever. Yes, uh-huh. have been around for a long time and. Yes. It just, like you said, you know, it really shocked me how, yeah. how they've approached COVID. Yeah, it's a totally, I mean, it's even the states, one state, I mean, these states are borders. It's like, you know, and they like in the, in the early stages, they'd say you, you from the state of New South Wales cannot come into the state of Victoria. It's like, what? I mean, what are you thinking? So I don't know. There's some kind of um, something wrong. Do you, do you, do you think... Australia here, here as well, and many Western countries. Yeah, because China's different. You know, they've right. they're authoritarian, so they can kind of do whatever they want, and people are going to more or less go along with it. They have right. to. But in Western countries, Europe and, and mm-hmm. here in Australia, do, do you think there's just something so strange or irrational happening where yeah. people are just kind of bu- buying whatever the government says and yeah. going along? I mean, I think at first I, we all agree. Okay, we don't know mm-hmm. what's going to. Let's let's see right. what kind of calm things down right. but almost two years in right it's it's like it's almost hysteria right i think as people peep this pandemic thing we haven't had anything like on this scale for 100 years and um maybe that's the thing that there's this sort of um there's no memory uh from people of this kind of event and so it's such an exceptional event they're not thinking straight I mean, that's not very psychologically um, profound, but um, they're not thinking rationally. Or another, one thing I said to my students once, because someone mentioned that a relative of theirs took the vaccine and had a bad reaction. And I said, look, okay, here's the problem. The problem is, all right, if you take the vaccine, there is a risk, okay? And this is the problem of people who try to push vaccines by saying there's no risk you know it's no there is a risk for some mm-hmm. people because of their physiology and we don't know exactly what it is so for sure there is a risk to taking the vaccine but there's a risk to not taking the vaccine and the risk for not taking the vaccine is much higher yeah. than the first one 
So people are presented with a situation where they have to trade off risk. And most people find that difficult. It's like, you mean, on the one hand, I've got this risky sort of uh, thing. And on the other hand, I've got a worse but still risky thing. And I'm having to choose between the two of them. And people find that hard. But you do that every day, right? You, you get in your car to drive down to the supermarket to buy a gallon of milk and you could get into an accident and die. And you could stay in your house and we have a big earthquake and the house falls on you and you die. So it's basically, it doesn't matter what you do, you, we are sort of always trading off risk. Well, but this is an unusual case, they not encountered before. Well, and I th- I've heard so. some stories of people getting the vaccine and somebody said they got sick or something, yeah. which there are risks and you yes. can have an adverse reaction from the yes. vaccine, but also you can get a vaccine and something else could happen that yes. has nothing to do with the vaccine. Yes. You know, there's, there's no way to necessarily it might not have been prove that, that was yes. the vaccine, but it just, there's so much right now with social right. media and the internet, there's right. so much information. There's so many ways to get information. Yes. Much of which is bad information. Right. Or incomplete information right. or propaganda. Right. And what, you know, have, have you seen the social um, dilemma? Yeah, the movie, yeah. Yeah, on, yeah, on, yeah. on Netflix. You know, this kind of idea where you can be married to somebody oh, yeah. and, and your your social media feeds look yes. in completely di- different. Yes. Because you're in a different, you know, world. Space, so your reality yeah. Yeah. is completely different than the person you live with. Right. You know, and then, you know, expand that to your friends right. and kind of the, it's you, just really scary. Yeah, you've got your own little metaverse there and, and they've got a different metaverse. And... um and you're re- being reinforced, right, within your metaverse. People are, people are, think the same as you and you think the same as them and it sort of creates instead of a kind of um, positive dynamic of two, like in a debate, right, a formal debate, it can be a good thing, but if you get people to agree to agree with each other too much, only talking to each other, there's a bad dynamic. And then when you get someone who disagrees, you think they're stupid. Yeah. And, you know, how can they think that? They must yes. be an idiot. Yeah. Because I know all these people, 99% of the people I know agree with me. And you don't, it's like, well, yeah, but they're not a random sample of the population. The I people. mean, it, it's kind of crazy in thousands of years yeah. of human history, you know, written yeah. oral history, yeah. with language and all this. We, yeah. We've really only in the last 10, 15 years right. have had this kind of massive access to information. Yes. And, yes. and, and influence of people, you know, before right. all this came along, internet and social media, yeah. I mean, our... Our, our, our spheres might have been 50 people, 100 people yeah. that were really in our, you know, in our life. Yep. But not, now it's like any second you can go and you can reach millions right. of, or billions of people. Yes. And, and you can also select for people who agree with you, right? So uh, who already agree with you or, or they're in the same box as you. So it's not like um, you're going out into the world and you're bumping into random people and some agree with you and some don't and some have a different viewpoint you're kind of you, you don't like that because it, it's discomforting you, you want people who say yeah you're right you're right we're right um, are, you, are you seeing yeah. this um in your your classes no or in your i guess in your, in your in your field at all are you seeing any of this no because students don't get to choose who's in the class with them right Ah, right. Okay. So that's the nice thing. And uh, you try to kind of elicit different people and, and to talk. And some of the people who don't normally talk and you sort of get sort of respectful, but different views. And at least it, this is something you don't get to control. You're, you, you're, you're in a mix and sometimes age, right? We have um, students who are like in their thirties and forties and, and, and whatever in with kids straight out of high school and that's good because those guys um those people the older ones have a different perspective and um it's good for them to hear it from someone who's not their parents <laughs> right yeah. yeah so so that's a nice thing about in fact as my first official thing as chair of my department is like okay i'm very much in favor of us as much as possible going back to live classes um good yeah good because the, the online thing is definitely, it was an emergency thing. And uh, except for the few, you know, we always have had a few online because there are people who are working people, right? So you don't, but it, we really want to kind of get people back physically in the classroom because it's really a much better learning. Students get kind of interact with people they'd normally never meet maybe, who think differently maybe, 
and that's good. I used to love the experiments we did. Oh, yeah. Experimental economics. And, yes, we've done know. experiments with students. Yeah, we keep doing that. And um, with, uh, with students invo- involved in games, but games that actually connect to real economics. And students love that. And the, the, yes. One of my favorites was, it's amazing how predictable it is, but the bubble. Yes, the bubble. I did the bubble experiment. Yeah, I created my own bubble, my own um, uh, software where we um, students uh, log in as part of a team on the internet and um, they trade an asset and the asset is like some you know, imaginary stock, something like that with multiple. And you offer real money at the end of the game to whoever makes the most profit and um, they compete and... Uh, almost inevitably the market price rises well above what it should be if everything were calculated rationally. And that's a good lesson on like the psychology and interaction of financial markets are not perfectly, like we say, rational um, because there's human element to the degree there's human element in it. And they love that stuff because it's like, oh, wow, this is not a textbook everything works nicely as long as it's in a market. No, markets can go awry um, they're usually better than the alternative, but they can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And that helps explain those situations we had, like the great financial bubble. So what have, yeah. what have been the biggest challenges yeah. with COVID teaching remotely or online compared to having your, oh, your classes? Oh, gosh. Um, this is a good lesson in human nature. Um, if um, it's totally online, let's say, and it's not a class that people have sort of ra- kind of chosen to because of work and, you know, like it used to be. Um, you, there's a lot of students for whom online doesn't work because you need a lot of self-discipline. Let's put it that way. You have to have self-discipline. It's harder to s- learn the same amount online than in a room with people because having the other people there gets you focused and motivated and whatever. Well, if you're on your phone, or people will notice yes. much more in person than they will if you're oh, yes. your camera's off and yes. they can't even see what you're doing. That's right. And so um, you get maybe 80%. Now, some f- faculty will do all these techniques and software to monitor that the students are really there, but it comes a bit too much across like the police watching. Um, and, we, you know, there are funny stories, true funny stories when there are tests, because if students do the test on, by themselves um, online, um, it's an interesting kind of lesson because some instructors in the university will sort of help them. They have all this technology that's supposed to let you monitor each person and you can watch and you'll find stuff like there'll be some guy who stepped, you know, um, some kind of oh, young lady, I would say. She's doing the test, and then she steps away for a minute, and then this this is a true case. A guy wearing a blonde wig <laughs> sticks, sits back in the chair and hopes, you know, that'll, that'll work. Oh, my God. You know, that kind of stuff. It becomes a game, a very kind of... So there's ways to see if they're, like, in, in another browser window yes, looking up yes, the answers? yes. So you now you have instructors trying to be amateur kind of detectives on you know a kind of game of wits between you which and the t- which students. takes away from the edu- with teaching takes away from the education. So I I set all my stuff up to be timed, and that I definitely can control, um, and I make it open book, which means it's got to be harder. So you may have the book there, but. If you haven't studied, you won't even know where to look for the answer. Yeah, right. So that way, yeah, sure, you can you can have all the books you want. Um, it's still not going to help you if you haven't done the work. You'll be lost. You won't know where to find the answers or look it up. But there's all this. It's a arms race a little bit, and we really don't want to keep having to do that. I mean, it's not nice because to some a lot of most students want to be honest and so forth. And um, if they feel it's an unfair if you don't cheat, you, you you know you're at a disadvantage. You don't want them to feel that. Besides, there's socialization. Put them in a room, have them discuss and debate and argue. I, mean, I was yeah. I was just um, watching an interview yeah. from I think it was Face the Nation last week, and, and there were lady was talking about the impact of young kids who have not yeah. been around Other their peers people. for two yeah. years. You know, seven, eight, nine, ten years. You know, you're just losing that kind of ability Generation, to socialize yeah. and you're figuring things out. You're a kid, you, you know, you yep. playground, all these things that, yes. that get kids use to, to grow and to evolve yeah. and, you know, get older. They're losing that. Yes. And it's, it's, um, I think one of the things I was, that's, I can just 
bring this up is there's things that happen in the world that we would never do intentionally. Right. But then economists can study those things. Yes. And they can, yeah. like, so this is an example. We, we would never lock everybody up for right. two years, but now right. we have, and now there's going to be a, people who are going to study, especially behavioral economists. Yep. Um, How that affected people. I guess where's some other example? There's so many examples. I remember mm-hmm. in class, we used to talk about this thing happened and now we can study the impacts of it, but we would never yep. actually Want it. do that on purpose. Right. So it's it's sort of like like the great financial crash, right? 2007, 2009. That was really interesting to you. It's like a stress test of the financial system. And so you can sort of get into looking at a bunch of stuff you wouldn't have otherwise. So, you know, in the pandemic, eventually people hopefully will learn from it all kinds of useful things, right? I mean, not the people living through it are not that happy, but eventually I assume medical science will have improved a lot. So um, I wanted to go back on. to the inflation. Yeah. And I want to ask you why inflation is here, right. but inflation affects certain things differently. For example, right. you know, automobiles, fuel, certain foods, but other right. things, you know, they're way up, way up. Right. Um, but other things aren't up nearly as much. Is that a supply issue? Is that why would inflation affect certain things more than other well, things? Some things are durable goods like a house, right? A house is an asset. It lasts a long, very long time. And so um, that's not the same as what's going to happen to the price of hamburgers. Um, you know, things that you just consume and, and they're gone. So I'd say that um, that's one reason. So when you factor in kind of comparing what's going to happen to the price of durables and what's going to happen to the price of consumables, it'll be, it'll be a different effect. Um, and it could go either way. One could go up more or less. So, and, and how you price a house, depend, you're trying to predict the future, right? You're trying to, like, I'm living in Austin, and do I think people are going to keep, suppose I'm living in Austin, I'm trying to predict, are people going to keep moving into Austin? I'm going to value and treat the trading of a house differently than I would if I were just buying gas from the gas station. Mm-hmm. So... Um, what about cars? Cars have gone up a lot. Used cars. I'd say that's a straight supply chain issue. Just, they didn't make yeah. cars for they didn't make cars for a year. All parts. Right. Like car, cars are so electronic and sophisticated now. All you need is one component, maybe that was only being produced in one country. It's critical for for cars to use. Then, if you have a problem there, it's going to affect the whole thing. And we, the buyer, don't see that, right? We just see sort of the finished product. So these things, that's the downside of we've specialized so much, right? We Key things get produced in, in one country and nowhere else. I mean, it's so crazy yeah. to think about. I, mean, I know people yeah. that have been buying. Uh, I've heard of people, yeah. friends of mine in the car business or, or even people not in the car yes. business. They just buy cars now. Yes. And this is what they do in Venezuela. Yes. People buy cars because yes. the inflation there is nuts. It's like yes. hyperinflation. Yes. They'll buy a car to hold the, the, ass, yes. the, 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 the money. Oh, yeah. Instead of hold the money. Yes. Now we have people in America buying, yes. <laughs> buying oh, cars. Oh, yeah, that's a really common when people think inflation is going to be very high. Like they'll do stuff like, you know, places like Venezuela and elsewhere. Their stories, people will rush. As soon as they get paid money, they rush out and they'll buy like a um, ginormous pack of diapers because diapers are easy to store. You put them in your basement. There's always going to be a demand for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so people will, what will happen is the more inflation sort of accelerates, the quicker people want to get rid of money. And that makes the problem worse. What, what, what about people who have a lot of debt? If it's Credit card debt, student loan debt. If it's de- denominated in dollars, they're probably going to be helped. They're better off, right? Better off. If you have $10,000 in debt yeah. and there's a huge inflation, you know, 10, yeah. 15% inflation, yes. you're still going to have $10,000 in debt. You're, yes. the, the money you owe is going to be, in yes. real terms, less. less. Yes. So it, it, it does impact Inflation impacts people in sort of asymmetrically. Not everyone is going to be worse off. Um, if I owed $100,000 and we had huge inflation and that debt was in dollars, um, I'm actually going to have a lower sort of burden. Could, could Has it ever happened where banks or governments or debtor, de- yeah. you know, people who hold debt yeah. in a huge inflationary moment try to increase the value of the debt to, to, to you know... If, if I owe you $100,000 and yeah. there's huge inflation, you might say, we well, owe me $115,000. Well, if it's a contract, I cannot do that. I mean, I'm, because some debts are kind of um, 
kind of kind of uh, adjustable. So you like credit you could, card debt. credit card or like uh, mortgage interest rates can be adjustable and so forth. So it depends depends on and it's a bet when you you're presented with you're going to borrow money and you can choose to have your um, your house uh, interest rate. Uh, you're buying a home. Can it is it going to be absolutely fixed? Okay, you're going to pay more. Um, but if it's you're going to if it's guaranteed that's going to stay fixed, um, you're going to pay more than if you're willing to take, you know, the kind that they can ratchet up. We don't hear about this very often, yeah. but if you could real quick talk about, which I don't think we're going to be uh-huh. dealing with for a long time, but what, what what's the difference? You know, what's deflation? How does deflation happen? Uh, deflation is where, for some reason, um, you're you've printed money, and people are just imagine them. The money gets out into the economy and people, because they're so pessimistic about the economy, they take that money and they put it under their mattress. They don't spend it. So you can keep printing money and printing money and you're not causing inflation, but you're not stimulating the economy either. People are just taking that money and putting it away, socking it away. Um, That could actually cause deflation, theoretically. You could actually have prices of things go down. If people because the demand goes down, it, well, it's sort of like the dem- yeah demand in the sense of people are not going to use that money to buy okay. stuff. They're just going to take it and and that's where you get you can get really weird phenomenon of negative interest rates if you go so f- too far in that direction. Now that's like Japan. A few places have been like that. Eighties, uh, in the eighties, um, I'm not Japan. Clear. I think Japan. Was. Japan was like that. In yeah, and there are a few Nordic countries that have had situations like that. This is like imagine a country of people who are so frugal they don't want to spend money. Hmm. You know, you can print money and 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 get it out into the economy one way or another, and people just take it and keep building their reserves of um, cash. What What about you? Hear the term stagnation. Stagnation is more like a real, not to do with the money supply, that's just when the economy for some reason is is um, not growing. And there are a lot of reasons why that could happen, right? So stagnation is not really a, f- a inflation thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a growth in the economy thing. And anything that's negative to your economy could cause stagnation. Um, you could, I mean, if your country for some reason is losing young, productive people, right? It's aging. Alaska's doing that. That's happening to Alaska in the last several years. Yeah. They keep losing people every year, and right. especially young people who go to school, yes. they don't want to come back because there's not as many opportunities. Yes. We're seeing that. Um, that's like uh, kind of uh, Alaska. I mean, if you take the optimistic view, you'd say, well, maybe in Alaska we're going through a transition to, we need a new, a a more balanced economy, that's the way I'd say it. I don't want to say you'd never want to have natural resources and stuff. You do, but it's going to become less critical uh, or dominant to the economy if we gradually become an economy that does other things, which this is where the internet works for our advantage, right? Because now there's this work from home thing. And, well, you know, we're biased, but Anchorage is a pretty good place to work from home. Well, I've been saying this on the podcast yeah. and I've talked to people for a long time and yeah. I, I think we're, we're, we're failing so badly mm-hmm. on the state level and the city level mm-hmm. of, of, you know, I've been here since 2004 and it's always, we're going to revitalize downtown. It's just yeah. bullshit. I mean, every yeah. year it's, we're going to revitalize downtown. If we could really revitalize downtown mm-hmm. and, and other parts of Anchorage, yeah. we could, we could attract people from Silicon Valley and Seattle yeah. and even the East coast, New York, where they're spending two, three, four thousand dollars a month for a shitty apartment. Yep work in the tech industry or the yep. financial industry and they want to go outside, they want to hike and ski and raft yep. and kayak, they would come here. Yeah. It's just not attractive right now, downtown right. especially, right. for people to come here. But we could do that, you know, yes. and that's a, that's a f- function in some ways of government. I mean, incentivizing the market to do these things. And yes. We aren't doing that. But people talk about it and talk about it, but it's not been really happening. Uh, if, if you have people running the city who are very pragmatic and they're not ideological... Um, and they learn lessons from other places that have been successful, and this is sort of outside my kind of area. So exactly how you would do it, I don't know, but the best way is to look at what's worked somewhere else that's yeah. similar instead of reinventing the wheel. That's the problem I see here a little bit is there's always this, 
we ourselves are going to sit in a room and we are going to draft a nice plan and it sounds great to us and now we're going to push it. It's like, don't do that. Don't try to it's, reinvent it's, the wheel. Go and find places like us that have It's very it easy. Out. People want housing downtown. Yeah. They want a walkable downtown. They want to be able Safe. to go, go to shops. They want to yeah. be able to walk, you know, to where yes. they want to do things in the stores. Yes. And that's that's all it is. And, and yes. we could, there's no reason we couldn't be attracting all yes. kinds of talent from from California, Silicon Valley, yes. Seattle, you know, even even you know New York, yeah. Boston, these yeah. very 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 expensive places. They're getting expensive. Austin's very expensive now. Um, people have already been moving to Nashville a lot. So there's a, there's a segment of the population, let's say five percent, that are naturally outdoorsy. They wanted they want to do outdoor activity. You know, the five to ten percent of those who could who don't need to be physically next to their employer. Um, Anchorage, I think, is a great place, um, truly, because um, it's got, it's very, it, let's just say it is, all right, okay, won't, won't get into why. But it's a great, I mean, it doesn't I'm, take much. It's an awesome place, Anchorage. It's an awesome place. It's got a, a lot more potential. You, you can get uh, in the car and drive 20 minutes or 30 minutes, yeah. park your car, yep. and an hour later you can be in a place that people will wait a lifetime to see. Yes, Yes. That's Anchorage. You know, we we're still getting Chinese tourists, even now. Yeah. Um, and that and that's partly because of the Northern Lights, which has this sort of mystical kind of thing in in culture. But um, they'll fly all the way here in the middle of winter. You know, stay in a hotel or whatever in Fairbanks maybe, and then do do the drive up. You know, to 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 take a chance. You'll see it. You, there's no guarantee, and so. Uh, there are these things even in the middle of winter. Japanese, yeah, they, Japanese. They, they think it's like a fertility thing. Yeah, that China Hot Springs. They have all kinds of yes. Japanese come there in the in the winter time yes. for the northern. It's like right, you know, same kind of thing. And we don't need to do a big scale. I mean, we for us, um, we don't need to compete with Las Vegas or somewhere like that, right? We only need a, like a couple more thousands coming, and um, and then you'll get a virtuous. Cycle, I yeah. think. Virtual cycle. Once you and and so we just need people. Now I gotta say, in America, somehow it seems like America's lost the art of building good cities. I don't know what exactly has gone wrong. But I, I read this book, uh you should read it. It's one one bil- one billion Americans, the yes. case for thinking bigger by Matthew Iglesias. And uh-huh. the whole premise of the book is he, we need a billion people so we can compete with China because okay. we don't want China to be the world leader because China's not the great example of He's a pretty progressive person. He co-founded yes. Vox yes. with Ezra Klein. But there's a whole chapter, and it's basically through immigration and through yes. policies of family and through transportation. Um, you know, if we had a billion right. people in America, we'd still have a lower population density, density. than England and France and Germany. Way lower. Um, but there's a whole chapter in there about mass transit. And, and I forget the exact numbers, but it's something right. like a mile of train track or yeah. subway metro track in, in the United States. It's like something, I don't know, it's some crazy number, like $100 million. Yes. Whereas in most of Europe, it's like ten or fifteen million dollars. It's yes. it's so crazy the disparity yes. of yes. what it costs to. And then we in some cities we build things to places people don't even really want to go. Right. Yes. Like but, in California, that was their solution for their rail. Right. They're going to do it to from Merced to I forget get where else, um, because high speed thing that they've been. Yes, billions of dollars, whatever billions of dollars. It's it's, it's not built. just a catastrophe, and and it was foreseeable. That's the thing. You can't use the excuse of a pandemic or something like that. So they just really have blown it, and they can, but they they won't back away. Yeah, the the other economic yeah. f- phenomenon you, you mentioned, Austin and Nashville, yeah. people are, and we can see this. Yeah, I think Ben Shapiro. If you ever heard of him, he does. Yes. A, oh yeah, you know, yeah, the he, young guy. Yeah, young guy. I listen to his stuff all the time. Yes. he's calling it the Great Sort. Uh-huh. And 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 Republicans are moving to red states like Florida and mm-hmm. Tennessee and, and Texas, and Democrats are moving to like California and mm-hmm. New York. But these other states like New York, they they've lost so many people. They lost a mm-hmm. a, uh, a spot Those in Congress. States. Yes. But you see these red states that are, and I was just in uh, Hawaii, mm-hmm. which you know, granted it's an island, and there's some reasons why they have to treat COVID differently. I agree. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But it's like I went to Florida for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and. It's it's like fucking going back yeah. two years, three years, five years. Yes. It's open. Yes. Some people wear masks if they want to. It's just a whole different right. you go to Hawaii and it's like you gotta register and show your COVID card, right. vaccine card everywhere you go. I mean, it's a whole two states right. with two vastly different 
experiences and approaches to COVID. Right. And there's a lot of people moving to Florida and Texas. Yes. And that's, to me, a scary thought. Mm-hmm. 10, 20, what happens in 10, 20 years when you have half the people living in states with one ideology and the other half living in states with another ideology? Right. That doesn't breed a good No, it doesn't future. bode well. It doesn't. And, and I guess at the end of the day, all of this, this kind of thing comes back to the internet, right? Now you can, now you can live in your bubble with people who reinforce your beliefs and maybe the worst part of your beliefs. And it doesn't matter which side of politics you're on because there's plenty to go around. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't possible that like that before where like it or not, you lived in a physical world and you were bumping into different people most of the time. Right. Last thing I'll ask you, I got to go yeah. soon, but what what are your predictions or tell me what you, you think is going to happen, how this country is going to look in the next, you know, three to five years. Um, okay. I, the number one thing is if it, it's dependent, I'll, I'll only have one condition. It depends on the government, nothing really crazy happening. I mean, really out there. So let's suppose it's, it's doesn't get any worse than it is. Okay. That's a, that's a good bar. <laughs> that's a good bar. It's, a, it's not, not going to get worse. It's not going to get worse. Okay. There's not going to be another civil war or something like that. All right. Um, th- in that case, I'd be kind of optimistic about America myself because America, because, uh, you know, I, I've had a lot to do with China and been at China and back and stuff like that. And, and you lived in Singapore. And I lived in Singapore. A lot of Chinese are in Singapore. Singapore. Singapore is the world's only successful authoritarian state. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but what's important to understand is they still have British rule of law. They kept that part of the British colonial system. They kept rule of law. So the judges are literally separate from the government and they sometimes make decisions against what the government wants. No, not like China. Not like China. China is opposite. And I, I'll do a little um, promo for um, one piece on China that was written by one specific person by the name of John Garneau, G-A-R-N-A-U-T. John Garneau is an Australian and with, with a lot of experience in China. And he wrote a, sing, a piece for a conference called, a seminar called uh, Engineers of the Human Soul. And in it, he digs really deep into what's going on with China. And what, what's going on with China is the ideology is truly a kind of Marxist, um, old-school, Stalin-flavored and influenced version. And in that version of the world, what you've got is the idea that um, history goes in cycles and the cycles always involve revolution and churning things over and, and stuff like that. And so it's perpetual revolution and flipping the board and upsetting you never get a a peaceful equilibrium so over the long run that's not sustainable right you keep people will invest and take risk and create all kinds of stuff and then they'll find themselves on the wrong side of the political thought you know spectrum the cultural revolution cultural revolution plus it's been married to a kind of ethno state yeah philosophy with so sort of han chinese i his the the ruling party's idea is we want sort of uniformity so the U.S. has a lot of advantages, natural advantages, when you think of it that against that as the opposite kind of model. Um, so all America has to do is not screw it up. <laughs> That's what I'd say. Take advantage because you know, U.S., all around the world, people want to move here and they want to move, some of them want to move to Alaska um, because they know at the end of the day, you, you are an individual and you have sort of individual rights and you have rule of law and you have all, all of this. And as long as the politics doesn't get too badly screwed up, um, they'd rather be here than most other places in the world. But unfortunately, we still make it very, very hard to come here. We're making it. They really it's, need it's to not sort gotten, it out. It's not yeah. gotten easier. And, you know, even it doesn't right. matter if it's Biden because it's the right. Congress has right. done so much, right. to, you know, and there's these, all these... Right. I could be holding the podcast, but yes. we don't make it easy, and we should make it easy for people sure. that are successful that want. Yes. I mean, even even the lowest. There's been so many studies on this. Even right. the lowest educated people right. who come here, right? You know, their kids do well, better than right. native native born people who are right. having kids. Yes, across it just it just yes. it's, it's been studied. There's no you know it's it's out there, right? And because they they appreciate it, they come here and they appreciate yes. it. Yes, they 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 know what sort of the alternatives are like. And 
especially when you come to places like China or Pakistan and Middle right. East or right. authoritarian countries where right. you know it's really hard to even live. Right. The the the, 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 par- the parents yeah. and the kids they have an appreciation for. America and yeah, yeah, it's really encouraging. And like Alaska took its share of Afghan refugees. Yeah, and you can be sure that you know five, ten years, you're going to see some of their their, their kids, um, you know, in the the honor roll at the the schools here and so forth, because they're coming from a place where there are no opportunities and it's really tough life. They they, they they know the alternative. They know the alternative and they're ambitious and they want to build a life. So. Um, that's the U.S. is one of its strong advantages, plus rule of law, plus a couple of other things. So Australia, I think Australia is on the whole done a much better job of getting people to come to that, you know, educated, skilled people to come to. I mean, they have the point, the merit system. Yeah. It's easier to immigrate. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, 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 you want this, I, I'd say you want a kind of from the really talented sort of exceptional, but down to, you know, the farmer from India, you know, yeah. I'd like, because they also have a sort of drive and contact with reality and um, it's good for them and their kids being in school. Well, that, yeah. that book, and you should really yeah. read it, The One Billion uh-huh. American, there's a, Whole chapter in there about you know, immigration. Yeah. A lot of it's about immigration, but the Muriel boat lift, yes. Cuba. Yes. You know, everybody. There's one argument that if you bring all these people in, their wages are going to go down, and they're yes. going to, you know, gr- granted, if you're, you know, worried about um, an immigrant, t- if you're, if you're in some, ta- if you're in tech or finance yeah. or whatever you're in, if you're worried about yeah. an immigrant taking your job, you, 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 you probably don't have the right job. Right. You're probably worried right. about, you know, you have another kind of job, but the Muriel boat lift. Um, yeah. All these people came from tens of right. thousands of people, maybe even up to a hundred th- Cubans came here. Right, Castro kind of let them go. Right, and in some cases wages went up. Yes, because there was more people to work at restaurants, take care of kids, right. do these jobs that other people couldn't do, so they yeah. could focus on other things. Right. So, so there, it's been studied by economists yes. at length, and and there right. was not in Miami and these places there was not a huge wage depression. Right, there was in some cases wages went up. There was, a, there was another case that was studied that where um, after the Vietnam War, a lot of Vietnamese people yeah. were evacuated here and they were distributed kind of randomly around the U.S. It wasn't like there was an obvious city to send them to. And then 20, 30 years later, they did a study and they found that, so it's like a random test. It's one and, of those things in economics you would never yeah. just do, but right. you can, now it's something you can study. Someone else did it and okay, we're going to take advantage of it. And what they found is the places where Vietnamese sort of were were sent have way stronger uh, kind of trade ties with Vietnam than other randomly chosen places. Of course, sure. So, so that's like an, an advantage. So the U.S. has lots of advantages and um, um, there's a little bit too much focus on the negative side of the U.S. And probably partly that's because of those are people who I noticed they haven't been, they haven't lived in other countries. They haven't seen much of the rest of the world yeah. and and this is all they know and so they have this standard that is if it's not ideal it's terrible it's like you don't know what terrible is till you've been in a poor country absolutely so so, so barring some major events yes. of the war you're optimistic yes that's exactly it barging with the qualifier some, of yeah, civil <laughs> war or um you know china's gonna have to as long as taiwan doesn't declare independence China, I hope, doesn't do anything rash. I think if there is another world war, I think it's all going to start with Taiwan. I think I'm afraid Taiwan. That's where it's going to. Yeah, that's where it's going to start. And unfortunately, I think the U.S. if it it doesn't, if it sort of caves on that, there's no end to it. So just like with, I mean, we don't have a treaty with Crimea, but same thing with the Russians did that. Right. That's a little bit of a different situation, but you know, we have the treaty Uh, with Taiwan, and if it happens, I mean, this is a whole. I know you have to go, but you know, Russia aligns with China and Iran and North Korea. They align with China, and then Europe, you know, align or they might want to sit it out. Who knows? But then Australia, right? That's got huge Chinese ties. Like, what's gonna the whole thing could just come huge domino. Well, I'm optimistic if if sort of on the Russian side they get a little more rational um, because China state media. I've heard them refer to some of those north, the northern, the cities in Russia that are on the border with China, Harbin, or by their old Chinese name. Huh. So that's a warning sign, because uh, they haven't forgotten that. Hey, that used to be part of China that you, you know, Russia now occupy. So it's in Russia's self-interest to sort of not. 
Well, I think when it comes down to it, I think the Russians and the Chinese are much more. I, I can't imagine the Russians are going to over Taiwan, for example, align. No, with us. they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. I I just mean that the Russians should would rationally pull back and have aim for good relations with Europe and the U.S. And I'm not saying they're going to do anything kind mm. of with China, but at least kind of have that not be an issue. That shouldn't be an issue. It should be that should be workable. So. Well, I guess yeah. we'll uh, we'll have to come back and do this have again in a couple of years. We'll, 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 yeah. we'll, we'll see where it, where things how things ended up. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, so, folks are interested in studying economics. You're yes. the chair, and I mean, it's a great program in, in UA and in economics. I think a lot of yeah. folks maybe aren't aware of that, but there's a really good. It's um, great. We got great young people there too. Um, Ver- Vernon Smith came a long time ago. Vernon right? Smith is here, um, and uh, he's sort of retired, semi-retired now. But yeah, he's been there, and we do did a lot of stuff. Um, we actually, the last semester and before that, um, actually most of us were in the office most of the time, even though a lot of courses were online. So the economists are around and we sort of, uh, like to talk to people and, you know, we, we can, we've got, we've got like, uh, we've got an actual pandemic economist, someone who was an economist years before young guys studying the interplay between economics and pandemics. We got. You know, different kinds of, which was totally an accident. Who's that? Uh, Kevin Barry. He's he's written some pieces uh, for the newspaper, and so we have. I like, gotta get him on the podcast. He'd be great on the podcast. And as chair, we can we can do some recruitment. I know who to ask, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. So when ask. you see uh, more economists coming online uh, on your program, um, we should we should do that. Okay, well, I appreciate that, Professor Johnson. It's been yeah. great seeing you, and great. Yeah, uh, best right of luck, here. and hopefully you guys get back in class very soon and we can yes. move past all this. So Yes, back back in, in the in the classroom. That's where we want students to be, and we want to be there too. It's awfully terrible. It's boring teaching Zoom. Okay, that's... Oh, I know it's not. <laughs> I, I do my book club on Zoom, and it's fun, and, but I'd much rather do it Live. in person. So, All right, Professor Johnson, okay. thanks for coming by. I appreciate it, Chair of the Economics Department. Thanks, Jeff. University of Alaska Anchorage. And folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast... Get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.